Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Age of Enfrightenment podcast, your hopefully first stop for all things esoteric, eerie, and just damn weird. I'm really very excited uh, not only to introduce this podcast, um, but also my two co-hosts. But before I get to that, I just want to say I'm Nick, and I'm really excited about all of the things that we're going to talk about um, on every episode of the show. I'm excited about what we're talking about this week, this inaugural episode, and just a little bit about why uh, this all began. It just really sparked from conversations with friends and realizing that we could spend hours talking about the things that we're interested in. And often those things are very uh, spooky and strange. And we thought, why not give it a go and, and dive a little deeper and do some research on different topics every week and, and see what we can put together. So that being said, I'll introduce uh, my first co-host, Theo. Bonjour. So uh, Theo, just to get, kind of give some context to any listeners, what, what was it that, that led you here? What was it that kind of sparked all this and, and made this something that you wanted to discuss at length uh, with us every, every couple of weeks? Well, like you put it, um, I have a love for things that are strange and out there and otherworldly. And I think that um, our friendship is very much kind of based around that. Uh, Whenever we get together, you know, us and other friends of ours, we inevitably end up talking about these kind of things. The the paranormal, uh, strange conspiracy theories, weird shit that's going on around us. It's fascinating. And I think it's something that's worth exploring. I think that uh, it's something that people are really interested in, too. And um, frankly, it just uh, sounds like a good time. And rounding out our trio, Dave, what it do, buddy? Hey, guys. How's it going? Hi, Dave. Uh, Hi, Dave. So I'm basically in the exact same camp as uh, Theo and Nick. Um, Had a pretty much lifelong obsession with all of this. Um, both as a skepticist and a, at times, crazy conspiracy theorist. Um, but, you know, for today's episode, because it's uh, technically episode zero, uh, to be fancy, uh, we're going to do a slightly different format. Uh, in the future, each episode will be an individual topic that we'll all research and discuss um, while making dick jokes. And... This time around, uh, just to give everyone a taste of what's in store, we're going to do three kind of bite-sized topics that each of us have researched, and then we're just going to discuss from there. Um, So, that being said, I'm going to dive into my first topic, which is the corn helmet, which is also known as the god helmet. Did you say corn helmet? Yeah, it's corn. It's it's like it's mostly made out of corn with a chin strap. Oh, I was thinking, um, and like it's with supposed to. I was thinking like Jinko jeans and. Well, and it's Adidas. funny you say that because like it it plays corn through the helmet, but also uh, apparently furthers your experience while eating corn. Um, I'd buy that. Yeah, it's groundbreaking stuff. Nothing more but, to say um, about that. But uh, yeah, the corn All right, Dave, helmet. good topic. Let's roll. Let's move on. <laughs> all right, that's that's all for this week, guys. Thanks for tuning in. 
so the Corrin helmet was invented by a Stanley Corrin and a Michael Persinger. And it was originally developed, uh, I'm going to try to quote here exactly, um, to study creativity, religious experience, and the effect of subtle stimulation of the temporal lobes. Basically, what these guys were looking to do was they were trying to study both hemispheres of the brain and how they interact with one another. And they hypothesized that if you pelt certain sections of the right or left brain with uh, low-field magnetic waves, uh, that somebody alone would have a sense of two people inside their own head, which uh, sounds terrifying, but also science and cool. Science. What they discovered, though, while doing this, and, you know, Michael Perringer, like, was really the one who ran with this, was pelting certain parts of the brain uh, caused a sensation of uh, divine presence, uh, oh. hence the name this went from the corn helmet to the god helmet uh, and basically they bring in test subjects uh, these these guys are based up in Canada by the way oh Although, of course like, yeah you just do something weird is make a corn helmet <laughs> this is after Weapon X so they, they yeah. decided to move on to something a little less violent <laughs> so they basically bring people in and he straps this helmet onto them that's basically just like a modified snowmobile helmet, or at least that's what it began as. And they pelt uh, a certain part of the brain that causes a really wide uh, variety of things to happen in different people. Um, Some people claim to feel God and the presence of Christ and have this really positive, uplifting experience. And other people, it sounds like it's just a waking fucking nightmare. They uh, they freak out. They see ghosts, basically. Wow. Um, and just yeah. to, to kind of visualize this a little better, so the person's physically wearing a helmet. Like, we, we should be imagining that. Is there... Um, it, so, so it's kind of... It's hitting just one part of the brain. What... Yeah. Is there a way in which, like, the the body... Because this is something that, you know, we've talked about a little bit before amongst ourselves, and, and I'm kind of wondering, is there, like, a physical reaction? Because we can imagine what's going on inside of someone's head, like, what they're, if they think they're experiencing. Did they write if there's any sort of, like, physical reaction on the outside that maybe they're not even aware of? Um, actually, <laughs> yes. Um, there, there, there is occasionally a physical reaction um and you know i wasn't going to open with this one <laughs> i think but, we're far um, enough in <laughs> get our one hands of dirty. the one of the quotes uh from one of the test subjects uh was i see a sh- i see shadows along my left side there is something touching my left side there is a flash of light a tunnel experience i feel as if i am shrinking and expanding there is a tingling inside of my thigh dot 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 sexual excitement there's a cold was that rush. actually said was that a quote oh, yeah. or is that like an aside this is an exact quote <laughs> there's a cold rush and in parentheses subject shivered eeg showed paroxysmal activity i see a visual 
it's an apparition and statement. Wow. So, so somebody saw a sexy ghost. Yeah. It sounds like, you know, that ghostbuster scene where the succubus shows up. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah I imagine it gets raped. You mean? Yeah. That was yeah. a fun thing to make fun of in the eighties. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So some people do have physical responses. Now, it's not just a matter of like throwing on this helmet and then, you know, buckle in. Uh, these people are put into a sem- sensory deprivation uh, tank. Um, basically the thing they used on Stranger Things with Eleven. Um, and then this helmet is put on. So in addition to sensory deprivation, which um, can really heighten certain parts of the brain, they then pelt the brain with these magnetic waves. Um, and you know, there's the people who think that they see Christ, but, you know, the there is a huge margin uh, of people that talk about seeing, well, like, to be frank, like, spooky things. Uh, some of the quotes from, these are all different test subjects, uh, a dark, ominous force looming right above the person as if it was going to descend... Um, a feeling of suffocation or pressure on the chest, Uh, the sensation of blacker than black during brief periods within a minute of the onset of a specific pattern. So, you know, it sounds like... And the big one that, like, actually kind of gave me chills when I was researching it was a standalone quote from a participant saying, I feel there is someone in the room behind me. So, you know, that's, that's fascinating. I wonder like what it would be that would cause that distinction for somebody to have like really positive experience versus a really negative one. You know, if it's like personal bias or brain chemistry or something like as, as easily explainable as like what they had for breakfast that day, you know, it's. Or their own expectation of what they're going to get out of it. Like if you come to it as a person who has a very positive feeling towards, uh, otherworldly kind of experiences like if you are the kind of person who's more susceptible to believing in angels or things mm-hmm. like that are you going to have a better you're going to have a better trip than than somebody who comes into it with with more negative feelings about that oh yeah and def- uh, a percentage of these people were atheists uh coming in and as far as i know going out um and the reports across the board were the atheists were really quite shaken um it, you know they uh, a, a lot sounds like a bunch of them reacted negatively and uh were really freaked out um and you know there's there's multiple ways to look at this there's the very rational scientific explanation of uh you know it, it, it's this part of the brain that has caused religious feeling for all of time and then there's another camp that you mean the cool one where you see boner ghosts yeah (laughs) yeah exactly there's another camp though that's vocal on the internet that um this guy may have found the key to something paranormal right boner ghosts yeah (laughs) yeah Boners that's unlock all, the door of the mind. That's really all heaven is. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, that sounds really unsettling and awful. <laughs> no, Dave, has there uh, been any sort of like, I don't know, like, were you able to see some of the other side of this? Like, any criticism? Anybody like saying anything like negative about this experiment? 
Because, I mean, I imagine it's a lot of people would find this, like, very controversial. Oh, yeah. And, no, it has been. Because, you know, the thing is, is this actually picked up a lot of steam in the 90s uh, when they discovered it. It got covered by multiple sources. Um, you know, there's a Wired wrote a whole thing about it in 1999. Um, I first learned about it from Morgan Freeman talking about it on uh, Through the Wormhole, the TV show. And how did he talk about it, David? (laughs) In a super soothing, nice way. (laughs) Um, But, you know, with all of that attention, there are lots of critics. Um, There there are people saying that that when they originally tried to replicate the results, they weren't able to. Now, Persinger said that they didn't they basically didn't set it up right. Uh, and there have been studies since then where they have been able to duplicate it. Um, and, y- you know, like throw a rock. Like if you even type in Persinger God Helmet or the Corin Helmet, you'll get a whole bunch of articles about how it's absolutely true and this guy has found God. And you'll also get a whole bunch of articles um, about how it's bullshit and they don't use double-blind subjects. Uh, which Persinger claims they do. So, you know, it seems to be really <clears throat> up to debate about what this guy did. Um, you know, there was a, as I mentioned, a, a Wired article written in 1999. And I mean, at that time, he had already strapped 900 people to the uh, to the God Helmet. <laughs> Um, so I can only imagine what those numbers are like now. Right. Because this is Uh, still ongoing, correct? That's, that's sort of the, that's sort of the history of this is it's, it started, you know, 20 years ago, but this is still an ongoing thing. Oh yeah. No, as far as I know, he's, uh, he's still doing this. In fact, he sold the schematic to a a company. Was it Tesla? Because I feel like that's something they would buy. God, that'd be awesome. Just God helmet descends on your head and it yeah. drives a, a They could save a lot of money you. trying to get us to Mars if they just strap everybody into one of those permanently. <laughs> but, you know, there's a really, like, cool, spooky side to this. Because, uh, like, you know, let's get real. Some people are seeing ghosts and demons. Um, and the, the Wired journalist, uh, I'm quoting directly here, Asked, has anyone ever freaked out on the chair? Persinger smiles slightly and describes when his subject suffered an adverse experience and succumbed to an interpretation that the room was hexed. (laughs) When I ask if, say, the subject ripped all the equipment from his flesh and ran screaming from the dungeon... Oh, it's a dungeon. Of course it's a dungeon. Why wouldn't it be? Why wouldn't the weird Canadian man forcing people to have religious experiences do it in a dungeon? Yeah, he's not going to do it on, like, the 30th floor of a a posh New York high-rise. Yeah, he's not going to do it on the veranda. (laughs) (laughs) What was so much creepier was Persinger currently replies, yes, his heart rate did go up and he did want to leave. And, of course, he could because that is part of the protocol. It's super weird to think about this dude who's strapped into this chair because this guy did it. Um and ask a question that's clearly, you know, a little bit ridiculous, but probably also a little bit of, like, answer the goddamn question. Right. Uh, and to get such, like, a clinical answer. <laughs> and, and, I, and I can just imagine Persinger sort of, like, twiddling his fingers. Oh, just, of course, like, you may leave any time so you'd like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, so, yeah, you know, I just, 
I, I found this topic fascinating and really creepy only because um, it sounds like there's, there's two ways that people look at it, uh, the scientific way and the paranormal way. And um, it's really spooky and enjoyable to think about the paranormal aspect of this. Yeah, I really love uh, how that kind of kicks off this entire podcast because uh, to kind of go into the thinking behind this, um, for anyone listening, Age of Enfrightenment is intentionally sort of speaking both to the, you know, finding knowledge and, and fear. And I love this story about how it has a scientific aspect and it has the part of it that is kind of clinical and like, well, this is just a guy doing experiments. And then it has this sort of, uh, Frankenstein side of it that feels fictional in its, in its way that it's, uh, been kind of told even through the wired, you know, a magazine like wired that's about science and technology that has such spooky lines in it because it j- you can't tell the story without having that kind of piece of it. And that's so perfect for, for what we're trying to do and what we're trying to talk about. Yes. Yeah. And it's something that it, to a certain extent is absolutely just a matter of debate whether this is just stimulating the brain to experience something that you would perceive to be supernatural or is actually just a direct line to the supernatural, that's really just a matter of opinion. Yeah, and it kind of, I'm sure there are people who know others or they themselves have had experiences where you're really messed up on something and maybe you feel like you've had that kind of experience or you're just in a very, like, fugue emotional state like you've lost someone or um you're so happy that you feel there's some kind of touch of divinity uh in your brain but what's different about this than maybe just taking psychedelics or having some kind of intense experience is that it's the repetition like this guy did experiments like you said by 99 he'd done 900 of them and people are reportedly having the same effect so it is kind of that thing where it's like, sure, there are a lot of things out there that can kind of tap into your uh, ability to, you know, either see into a different world or to see so deep into yourself that it gives you that kind of a trip. But he's found, you know, whatever it is, whatever that that exact moment is that you can that you can isolate in brain activity that has this reaction. Oh, yeah. I just I love that, like either answer uh, to what's happening is so goddamn final. It's either like, okay, well, all of religion forever were these faulty synapses that were firing and making people think that, you know, God was real and talking to them. Or, you know, he found a portal to the afterlife right. inside yeah. all of us. It's the bridge. You know? Like, yeah. Like, literally. like it's, it's really, there is no middle ground with the corn helmet. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all I know is I, uh, I think we should pull our money and, and fucking buy one of these things. Absolutely. Well, and that's the kind of one of the coolest things about it is this is a contemporary story. This isn't like something that happened way back when. And it's not In some, like 1980. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's not some, uh, you know, theoretical Leonardo da Vinci flying machine. Like this guy made it. We can go buy one. Um, I think that's something that we may just have to do and then revisit this on a, on a I'm gonna, later. I'm going to get the uh, I'm going to get the Kickstarter set up. So, no, nah, uh, dude, if I if I cancel my wedding, we can <laughs> probably just fucking buy this thing right now. 
Yeah, I mean, just think about all of the money that we have in in like student loan debt. I, I'd be willing to take out an even bigger loan to strap myself to a snowmobile helmet from hell. Yeah, man. I mean, I'm just giving that money away. <laughs> well, that was awesome. I think that's a really great way uh, to kind of dive into the kind of things that we're going to talk about here. Um, but like we said, we're going to kind of try to keep these two sort of mini minimum bites and we're going to revisit these things and we're going to post some links on our website for people to do further reading. Um, but I'd love to turn it over now to Theo to, to kind of take us into something a little different. All right. Strap in boys. This one's a doozy. <laughs> All right. Now I'm going to preface this story that I'm about to tell by saying this is all 100% true and actually happened. So that you, sink in. <laughs> <laughs> no, right. I don't. I don't. I don't buy it. All right. So, are you guys? <laughs> are you guys familiar with the the Bohemian Grove? Yeah, a little bit. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So it's that Queen song. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's um, the one. Yeah. Every every uh, acapella group in the nation does it at least uh, at least once every spring. Yeah, I kicked off that SNL movie. Yeah, I mean, we know we know what that song is, man. That's your topic. All right. Well, thanks for listening, guys. <laughs> Just to uh, wrap it up there, say goodnight. Um, all right. So if you're not familiar with the Bohemian Grove, uh, I'll, I'll uh, outline that for you. Now, if you've found this podcast on your own and aren't just our friends and family listening to make us happy, um, you're probably familiar with conspiracy theories. And Bohemian Grove is a, a big one. So it's this compound in Monterio, California. It's right outside of San Francisco, and it's this big wooded enclosure that's owned by a private um, by, by private entities. And every year, there is a retreat held at the Bohemian Grove that is attended by some of the richest and most powerful people on the planet. For two weeks, they go into the wilderness, and they hang out, and what they do is absolutely up to speculation. Now, some of the people that have been members of the Bohemian Grove, uh, every Republican president since 1923, so Reagan, Nixon, uh, both Bushes, um, Henry Ford was a member, um, what's his name? I can't remember, John Firestone, uh, the, the creator of Firestone Tires, he was a member. Um, Oppenheimer from the Manhattan Project, he was a member. So. Yeah. Yeah, people who've literally Death himself. Yeah, <laughs> people who've literally shaped the world. Now, what goes on during this two week retreat? As I said, up to speculation, but conspiracy theories about it have just flown. You know, people think that they're dictating world events and things like that, or even more sinister things like there are sacrifices going on there and they're all Satan worshipers. Um, people that have been able to break into the compounds or sneak in somehow have been able to kind of see what's going on. And there are instances of people dressed in robes, having what looks like some kind of pagan ritual around a 40 foot concrete owl idol. Jesus. Yeah. Um, now, whether this is actually the Illuminati doing shady shit, or if it's just a bunch of rich white dudes trying to act like frat boys, is up to speculation. So probably a little bit of both. <laughs> yeah, probably. 
Now, there's a man named Richard McCaslin. Um, Richard is a very interesting guy. To say that he's a conspiracy theorist is putting it lightly. Um, I mean, for starters, he's a 9-11 truther. They're always very odd. Um, <laughs> you mean one of those very stable people? Oh, yeah. Absolute just pillars of society. Um, a big conspiracy nut. And he was convinced that during this two-week retreat at the Bohemian Grove every summer, the rich and elite were having human sacrifices. Of course, of course. Right, right. Uh, I mean, what else are you going to do with all that money and power? Sacrifice people. I, If I had more money, I would kill way more babies, and I think I speak <laughs> for all of us when I say that. And I feel like they're in the woods. I feel like there was at least some light manhunting happening yeah. out in the woods. What are you, you going to not hunt people? Like some kind of jerk? Oh, you gotta. <laughs> all right, so Richard McCaslin, um, guy with some wacky beliefs. Uh, he, well, first off, he hears about the Bohemian Grove from listening to Alex Jones. Uh, you guys know Alex Jones, right? Vaguely. Unfortunately, yes. Okay. Dave, if you're not familiar with Alex Jones, that's that's okay. Just be thankful that he doesn't occupy space in your head. He's probably <laughs> going to have a cabinet position sometime in the next four years. <laughs> <laughs> so... Mr. McCaslin decides that he is going to put an end to the evil doings going on at the Bohemian Grove every summer. So he drives to uh, San Francisco. He gets to the compounds. Uh, he's dressed in a blue jumpsuit. Um, he's wearing a rubber skull mask with a Mer- American flag bandana over it. Uh, and across the, he's wearing a flak jacket. And across the flak jacket, he writes, Phantom Patriot. Which evidently was his superhero name. <laughs> and that is so cool. I know. It's it's just if it wasn't just so sad, it would be the best story ever. <laughs> yeah. But um he he shows up, uh he has a bunch of guns, like real guns that fire real bullets, um, a crossbow, a sword, and a homemade flamethrower. Wow. And he I gets... feel like you should have started with the homemade flamethrower. <laughs> Disclaimer. Yeah. If you didn't like this, that first story, just hang <laughs> on because we have a homemade flamethrower coming up. Well, I think the important part is that I point out that the flamethrower is homemade. Yes. So it's just yeah. a leaf blower filled with gasoline. <laughs> <laughs> it holds a match in front of it. It's, it's just one of those grill lighters and a can of hairspray. <laughs> um, but so he manages to get into the compounds. Um, now, this happened January 19th, 2002. Uh, so, like I said, it's the big summer retreats where all of this happens. He goes in January. Uh, so I don't really know what he expected to find there, but evidently their security is a little bit light in the off-season. So he shows up, and he just kind of stumbles around. Uh, the first thing he tries to do is he he finds the big owl idol I was telling you about, and he tries to burn it down. And that doesn't work because it's it's concrete. <laughs> but he learned a very it's, important lesson, I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, fool me once, shame on you. <laughs> Try and light concrete on fire, shame on me. Uh, <laughs> so he, he unsuccessfully burns down the owl. Uh, then he just finds a building and falls asleep. Because he was so suckered out from all of the burning. (laughs) 
insane yeah. to me that he was just able to do that on what's supposed to be like a very heavily guarded. Yeah, he kind of just locked his way in and sort of just passed out. Like, oh, <laughs> he just will be fine. <laughs> he was just hanging out. And I guess he felt safe enough in this compound run by rich Satanists that he could just take a nap. So <laughs> he gets up in the morning, you know, well rested, and he finds a banquet hall. And I guess it wasn't made out of concrete because he was able to light that on fire. Right. So he lights the building on fire. Then finally, some of the staff notices it and they come <laughs> and they round him up and he gets arrested. I'm really just imagining. Do you know? I'm, do you know like what season this in? Because it's kind of like a summer retreat. So I'm wondering if he just went in the off season. If there's just oh, no, like no. two he, yeah, he guys, kind of just like interns, being like, should we do? Should we do something about that? Yeah, he went in January. It was January nineteenth, two thousand two. And that's the thing is that this is two thousand two. This isn't that long after September eleventh, where you'd think that somewhere that's being attended by these big important government right. figures would have more security. Yeah, I mean, this is around the time of, like, anthrax in the mail. That yeah. Was, that was, you know, people people who were not in government were worried that that was going to happen to them. And then at this place, it's like, oh, it's, you know, it's fine. We got a lot of, we got a lot more <laughs> banquet halls, I guess. I kind of just imagined that he was walking around in his skull mask with his sword, and they saw him, but they were just so used to weird shit happening there that they really didn't care. <laughs> Until right. he finally lit the building just, on fire, and then they're just like, maybe "Dude, come Henry on!" Henry Kissinger decided to like come and <laughs> hang out for the weekend. Yeah, they saw the patriotic getup, and they were like, "Well, Glenn Beck's probably just shooting like a, like a new special or something." Yeah. Oh so, God. so they caught the patriot, and they put him in jail, and he stayed there until 2008. But he is out now. Uh, he's making YouTube videos. Um, I. By the way, I didn't know if you knew this, but uh, Barack Obama and the Clintons are um, reptilian aliens. <laughs> I, I found that out from um, from Mr. McCaslin, who's calling himself Thought Crime now instead of the Phantom Patriot. I guess that that uh, brand didn't really have a future. Yeah, well, it's a new it's a new age. It's kind of like when uh, Cap came back from the dead or Steve Rogers came back from the dead. And he was like, well, I'm not going to be Captain America. Like, that's not how I have to be. I don't know. Crime, See, I, I guess I find the Bohemian Grove thing awesome because it like, you know, I feel like more people know about the Freemasons than Bohemian Grove. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where, Freemasons is more of a household way of saying that I think there's a small cabal of people running the entire planet. Oh, yeah. Which like I feel like the Bohemian Grove has way more poten- potential current day to be something like the Freemasons were back in, in like the 1800s. Um, you know, just like they, these are like the most powerful men in the world, just hanging out in the woods and doing bizarre things around this giant owl idol. Oh yeah. There's that speed. <laughs> that's yeah. what I love about this story is that there's so many elements to it. You know, there's the conspiracy theory, there's superheroes, or at least, you know, real-life vigilantes. Um, There's just so much going on, but at the same time, it's just so fucking ridiculous. It's funny because um, I've seen some of the pictures of this guy, and it really is, it just looks like somebody made a Halloween costume of a bandana and a skull mask, and it's got like a patch on his arm, and it seems so normal that I think we would, even even looking into it a little bit, you have a tendency to be like, oh, he's just some weirdo. 
But we always expect when we see pop culture and, you know, movies and stuff and comics that things are going to be like larger in life if they really happen. But this is basically all you need. This is the formula. You have a man on a mission who takes it upon himself to infiltrate some top secret base. And it might not look as explosive and as intense as we might picture in the movies, but it's basically the same story. Like it's really there to, to discover and learn more about. Oh yeah. Like, you know, if this guy tried to burn down the concrete owl statue and like 60 sacrificed bodies fell out of it, <laughs> like this guy would pretty much be a real life superhero. Or it just kind of sucks into its, into like a black hole, like the house at the end of poltergeist. Like it just kind of <laughs> zips away into nothingness. You know what? Even if he didn't get caught, even if he got onto the compound, took a nap, then burnt the building and escaped, he would seem like such a more impressive a figure. Hero. Exactly, exactly. You know, we'd be wondering about the Phantom Patriot, and there'd be legends about him, and probably yeah. a movie by now. But it's weird, because I don't know if, we, to that same thinking, would would we even believe that it happened? Because if, if he didn't get caught, he would have left, went on YouTube, and like made a big thing about it. And there probably would have been the majority of people that would just ignore it as white noise. But I think at least the fact that he served six years uh, hard time, that kind of helps me at least be like, oh, this is like, it's a real place. And and the thing about it being a real place, like, it's, you can get there. Like, you can, you can work there. I was actually just, as you were talking, I went on Indeed, and they have a three and a half star rating from their, from their former employees, people who park really? cars and stuff. Yeah. Um, so... I, I guess with that, I would ask anybody listening if you know someone who's worked there or if you want to uh, kind of explore a little bit and maybe call them up, see what it would take to get a job, see what the application process looks like. Um, we would love to talk to you. We'd love to revisit this and, and kind of do a little expose on what it's like to try and work at or work at the Bohemian Grove. Oh, absolutely. And we will protect your anonymity so the Phantom Patriot doesn't come to kill you for serving this, your satanic overlords. Yeah, we'll just yeah. call you Lando. Now, when, <laughs> when I searched the Phantom Patriot, I immediately, like, the first Google image search was um, the Be a guy holding up a protest sign, yeah. the Bohemian Club murders children every July 23rd. Um, and what's unsettling is it's not just him. There's two other people in the photo. They're clearly. growing yeah uh also so, july 23rd is satan's birthday that is widely known yeah man that's a, in the bible i get a reminder on facebook every year all right so that is my story that you know we were supposed to keep a tight 10 minutes and did not happen <laughs> so uh you want to uh you want to round this out nick sure um i i really love uh, in those first two stories that these are contemporary things um because what we're going to talk about is going to range from things that are sort of very old and ancient, or they're sort of just kind of cosmic ideas that maybe necessarily aren't tied to a time. And then we're going to talk about things that are about technology in the future and the frightening things that we have to look forward to. Um, but for mine, I wanted to choose something kind of broad that sort of speaks to a certain timelessness in just human society. So I wanted to talk about the concept of memento mori. Uh, it's a term that has been used in all levels of society since the ancient Romans, really. So the first 
kind of hint at this that we have in history dates back to um, to the Roman Empire when generals and great warriors within the within the empire would kind of return to Rome or they'd return to their home city and they would have these lavish parades for them with you know dancing and music and feasts and all of this sort of hedonism that we generally associate with the Roman Empire. And we do have this picture of them in our heads. Um, it's the reason why I think a lot of people uh, compare our current you know, U.S. station in life to being the same sort of thing. It's this idea of kind of all the bombast and all of the uh, self-importance that the Romans had and conquering the world. But what I think is really fascinating about this is this concept was created as a way to sort of humble themselves and remember uh, the most uh, definite thing that all of us will do eventually in our lives, and that's that our lives will end. So what they would do is when their chariots would kind of ride in victoriously into town, they would actually have a slave, one of their slaves, stationed on their chariot with them, which is already sort of an odd kind of thing when you think about how uh, highly the Romans thought of themselves above all of the people that they subjugated. And this yeah. slave, as they would kind of ride it in town, this moment that is so much greater than anything else this person's done in their career, the slave would whisper to them as they rode into town, uh, respice post te hominum te memento, uh, which is Latin, Latin vaguely uh, or, or most closely translates to uh, look to the time of your death and remember you're only a man. So that concept that you have the lowliest of people whose life is seen as being worth nothing, telling the highest person that, hey, you're going to die. I mean, it's the kind of thing that would be very disrespectful if a slave just came up and said that. But it was built into their society. It was something that the wealthy elite chose to do as a tradition that was handed on again and again. And it was to, to keep that nagging idea in your ear that you're going to die. By the time well, That's the, a bummer. Yeah, it's a bummer, but it's also, uh, it, it kind of shows a certain complexity to the way that they thought that they weren't just people who were going to have gladiators slaughter each other in the arena and they were just eating up land and just doing whatever they wanted. They had sort of an introspection about their lives. And by the time the dark ages rolled around, this had, uh, morphed and the saying had become memento mori, which more directly, uh, translates to remember that you have to die or that you will die, or and it's often just explained as remember death. And this was used, um, I mean, if you Google it, it's incredible the amount of paintings and poetry and uh, musical selections that come up around this, because it's this idea that no matter where you are in your life, it's always going to end the same way. And I thought it was important to bring up today because I think it sets a foundation for at least personally, what fascinates me about all of the things that we're going to talk about in this podcast, not just because it's macabre or it has like sort of this gothic connotation to it, but because I try to remember that I try to remember that eventually I'll die and I have a limited amount of time. So in that time, I want to learn as many strange and bizarre things as I possibly can. And it's why I get so excited to talk about the things that we're going to talk about before you guys have brought either of these things up that we talked about today, God Helmet, um, Phantom Patriot. I didn't know about those things. So that's what excites me about coming back to this every week. Um, so just to kind of talk about why it's important still, 
is we still have this theme. It still shows up in a lot of our pop culture. Um, this skull, I think we take for granted as being sort of a symbol of, of, you know, death metal and all these different things, but you can even see it on like, you know, cute pocketbooks and stuff. We've kind of like, uh, sort of whittled it down to something not as powerful, but the skull used to be a very ominous reminder that, underneath who we think we are, we're all just dust. And that's what we're going to go back to. And this idea kind of uh, persists today. And just as a sort of a personal anecdote, it affects uh, my life every day in a couple of ways. One being that we have a a clock in our apartment, my wife and I, that comes from a a watchmaker in London. And uh, throughout a lot of his... uh, pieces that he makes, whether it's wristwatches or, or clocks, he'll, he'll work in this idea of memento mori. And, and on the second, on the minute and hour hands of our clock, it says, uh, remember you will die. And it's just that daily reminder. And it also ties into time a little bit because that's the thing that we can never fight. Time is always marching and it's always heading towards death. Um, so there's that, but then there's also uh, a tattoo that I have on my leg of death uh, the character personified in uh, Neil Gaiman's Sandman comic book series. And I got it for the same reason. It's a reminder to myself every day. Uh, don't get too, you know, big for your britches and remember that this is, this is what's coming. And uh, I, I like to think that's something that our friend, the, the Phantom Patriot would, would get down <laughs> with because he seems to be seizing the day. Oh, yeah. Sure. You know, it's, it's, it's cool. Cause it seems, it seems really morbid you know to constantly remind yourself that you're going to die except you know just like you said it it, it's a guarantee that it is going to happen and it definitely seemed like people of that era were like a little bit more in touch with that um you know and and depending they chose to take it as you know both a humbling reminder and also a motivation to do more. Uh, right. And there's definitely, a, you know, for a lot of people, there was a religious connotation. It's like this world doesn't matter as much as what comes next. But what's interesting is that, cause there's like a lot of things, even in certain faiths that will remind you of that. Um, this concept is particularly very Western, very European and we've, and it's carried through to us, but they're even in Eastern cultures, they have similar kinds of things. And, I'm sure in later episodes we'll go more in depth about death and dying and that and the culture around that. Um, but I think in particular there are like these little kind of neat stories that you see throughout history. Like one in particular was that Mary Queen of Scots, one of the most powerful human beings on earth for her time, wore uh, a silver skull necklace. And this wasn't necessarily like a fashion statement. It wasn't the kind of thing that you would you know, get your portrait painted in at the time, but it was something that she needed to keep on her to, to, to keep that idea in her head. And I think we've largely escaped a lot of the ways that used to be very common to die. And that's why we don't think about it as, as much. Yeah. I think that the whole concept of memento mori, you know, just kind of keeping death close to your thoughts is something that's lost on our culture today. I mean, we think about death when it happens, when grandma dies, we uh, we have the viewing, we have the funeral, we'll look at old pictures or watch home videos, things like that. People will share stories. And, you know, even for little kids, there's this idea 
Grandma has died. Grandma is not around anymore. She's gone. Um, but once once the funeral's over, we kind of forget about it. And I, like death, death is just a very abstract concept to right. grasp. And I don't think a lot of people have any kind of real reminder for them that this is no matter who you are, whether you are the slave or whether you are the general, it's going to happen to you. And there's literally nothing you can do to stop it. Oh yeah. And you know, I, I feel like because we've kind of drifted away from thinking about death continuously as they used to, um, you know, it will still, it'll still come out in bursts. We'll still be afraid of the unknown. I mean, I, I personally think that like just hearing that, I feel like it took this day and age and like this particular climate for something like, let's say the corn helmet, like the God helmet to exist, mm. you know, people wanting some kind of answer about what happens after death or, you know, just answers about the paranormal in general, you know, where it seems like the common thing to do back then was to, you know, do something like wear a skull necklace to remind you of death we now don't think about it as much, but we also want answers. Um, right. I yeah, think we, we yeah. do it in more of a less direct way, right? Because we still have uh, scientists working tirelessly for cures for things. And, and we always, you know, if you see advertisements for different drugs or stuff, it's always about like improving your quality of life, um, helping you live longer. But those are all just kind of code for running in the opposite direction from from death like we still we still spend a ton of our time just avoiding death but i don't think we're as comfortable talking about it on a daily basis um as as maybe people used to be when they had to be when people were dropping left and right from you know diphtheria and and whatever the the plague of the day was you know i think you hit the nail on the head there there's really a cognitive dissonance between us as a culture at large, doing everything we can to fend off the Grim Reaper, but never actually kind of thinking about it directly. Right. Not really addressing the elephant in the room until until it's right there sitting on top of you. And then and then it's like once you've done your morning, it's like as many distractions as you can throw at yourself is is what we sort of seek to achieve. So I think it's something that is probably going to come up a lot throughout these different episodes because we're going to talk about a lot of, you know, either violent things or spooky things, things about the afterlife. So it seemed like a, an apropos way to kind of dive into this podcast and what we're all about. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's a totally fascinating subject. I mean, I think it's something that I'm going to investigate a little bit more myself. And, um, you know, I, I think really what was great about all three of the topics that we picked and we all had discussed initially that we were going to do topics that we knew a good bit about, but the other two members of the group were a little bit unsure of. And, you know, we want to do this podcast because we are fascinated with fear and why people become afraid, the things that make people afraid. And obviously we want it to be about like spooky shit and things like that, but we also wanted to be a little bit more, uh, intelligent and conceptual no but I, I i know what you mean and i i do appreciate uh the the format that we're that we're trying to create here and i hope other people do as well because for us this really came largely out of 
listening to a lot of different podcasts that maybe talk about the things that we like, reading a lot of things that talk about the things we like, but never in quite so open and a conversational way. And that's what we were really excited to, to put together first, first off, just for ourselves, um, just kind of pushing ourselves to constantly be looking into things and be sharing them with each other. But we also figured it, we can build, you know, kind of a community around that. So, uh, we have, we have a, a website and a Facebook and a Twitter, and we want people to engage with us, come to us with ideas. Hey, why don't you guys talk about this? Come to us with personal stories um, we, we want people to be a part of this, uh, you know, just as much as we are. Right. Like we said that we, this is something that drives all of our friendships. So we want the show to have the feeling that we get when we talk about these kind of things, you know, in backyards around fires or at bars or long rides home from the city. Around you know? owl so- fires. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, because owls can't burn, as the Patriot found out. <laughs> yeah, no, not any owls. Yeah, so as we're rounding things out now, we want to direct you to the places you can find us, the places you can see um, some of the artwork that we have that goes along with this stuff. You can listen to the episodes on our website. So our website is aoepod.com. Uh, that's where the episodes will live. That's probably where you're listening to it right now. And we're also going to be putting in a resources section that'll click have some links that you can click on and, and read further into these things. Uh, a lot of the research that we did will be based off of those things. Um, also, follow us on Twitter at AOE underscore podcast. Uh, tweet at us. Tweet at us uh, links, you know, requests to maybe talk to us, uh, get in touch. Um, there will also be a section on our website where you can get in touch. And finally, we have Facebook. And that's Age of Enfrightenment. Easy enough. Uh, just type it all in, uh, I think is one word. And, and you should be able to find us. And uh, yeah, we, we really, really look forward uh, to, to engaging with you and talking with you. And thank you so much for listening to this. We really appreciate you seeking this out. You know, the three of us have been busting our asses put the, putting this together. And I think we're all really proud of what we have. And we hope you enjoy it. So, um, so Please keep listening. Tell some friends. Uh, yeah, and y- you know we uh, we're periodically going to occasionally recommend uh, various podcasts. Um, we're, we'll definitely post a lot of our resources and everything on our website. Um, and you know, the first podcast we're going to recommend actually has nothing to do with anything we've been talking about. Uh, nothing spooky at all. Uh, and that's actually a brand new podcast called Press A Repeatedly uh, with Justin Tomasello and Chris Gold. And it's it's a gaming podcast. And I mean, these are these two guys are like lifelong Nintendo fanboys. But, you know, they, they gap into other consoles and talk about various indie games on Steam and everything. Well, and they better uh, talk about Dreamcast. Or a lot of people are going to be very <laughs> upset. <laughs> But I mean, like, they, you know, these guys are are great. Like, I heard their their first episode, and um, you know, they're they're really knowledgeable, and also they're just they're genuinely fun, entertaining guys. Um, even if you're not a huge gamer, none of their content is too intimidating or anything, and it's just enjoyable to to listen to them talk about the thing that they love. 
Yeah, it's really great. Um, we, we each took a listen to their kind of first intro episode. And I got to say, as someone who is not a, an avid gamer, I'm sort of a, a casual user. I, I found it really accessible and, and fun to listen to. Um, they did talk a lot about Zelda and stuff. So that was that kind of brought up some member berries and some good uh, nostalgic feelings. So I would say give it a try. Um, you, you'll probably find it's more your kind of thing than you realize, even if you're not super into gaming. Yeah, they're really cool dudes, and they uh, did a hell of a job putting that together. And it's definitely something I'm going to be checking out. And it's it's really worth a listen. Yeah. So All right, I guess that about does it. Let's uh, put the kibosh on this. Yes, thank you, everyone, uh, for tuning in. We're going to be posting these episodes every two weeks. Um, in the coming weeks, we're going to be covering lots of different topics um, that are very different from each other, where there's going to be some sci-fi elements. Um, there's going to be some elements that are sort of about social issues, um, which might not be something that you expect, but really fear touches everything um, in, in the way that we live our lives. So that's what we're excited about. And, and we can't wait. Uh, we can't wait to share with you some more. There's going to be one episode where I just get really drunk and talk about my feelings. <laughs> I think about halfway through every episode, it's going to devolve into that. But we, we, managed to keep, we managed to run a pretty tight ship this time around. <laughs> yeah. All right. So thank you, everyone, um, from us here at Age of Enfrightenment. Uh, stay, stay curious and keep looking into these things and keep enjoying the things that frighten you. Keep watching the skies. <laughs> I don't, I don't right. know if we can. The say truth that. is out there. <laughs> <laughs> Just yell every tagline from every show you've ever liked. <laughs> uh, in space, no one can hear you. Uh, uh, can hear okay. your butt. Well, we'll see you in two weeks, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>